0: Amen. Please be seated. I don't know about you, but I am already enthused on this Father's Day. Wasn't that a wonderful, wonderful time of worship? Can we say thank you to the worship team here at New Vintage? What a blessing. Uh, Everything about the service this morning, except for Tim Spivey, was encouraging and uplifting. Uh, I appreciate Tim and his invitation to be here and share Father's Day with you. It's so, so good to see and be with him. And yes, we've worked together for a long, long time. He's got the dates just a little mixed up. I was actually in his youth group when he was a youth pastor, so... (laughs) Uh, I've got pictures somewhere to to prove that. Hey, turn to somebody near you and say, uh, "Happy Juneteenth." Go ahead, and just t- tell them that. There, our, our our new uh, new national holiday, and then tell them, "Oh, by the way, Happy Father's Day," right? Because uh, because both of them are wrapped into this weekend. One has to do with uh, with freedom. The other has to do with not freedom. Uh, uh, being, a, being a father is being a servant. Being a father is being someone who cares for others. How many dads have we got in the house this morning? If you're a dad, just go ahead and stand. If, you, if, you'd, if you'd be up to it, we want to say happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day! Happy Father's Day all the way around to all these dads. Thanks, dads. There's a lot of pressure on dads today. I live at Pepperdine University, where I get a chance to work. I want to invite you all to come up sometime. You've had me to your house. We'd love to have you up to ours. Uh, in May, we run a thing called the Harbor, which is a imagine just a church service and a camp all thrown together. About two or three thousand folks will gather, and we'll sing and praise. It's just a wonderful time. And uh, it's four nights, uh, actually, let me get it right, three nights and four days, sound like a commercial, three nights and four days in an ocean view room with your food included is about $240 total, total, I know. There's some guys here saying, that's the anniversary trip I've been looking for right there, baby, going to take you to Malibu, it's going to be awesome, but we sincerely would love to have you come, you just look up Harbor at uh, at Pepperdine and there's all kinds of information online about that. But today, as we think about Father's Day, I thought, where would we go in Scripture? Somebody asked me a few years back, they said, you know, who invented Father's Day? Now, I assumed it would have been a dad, right? Because Mother's Day's been around for a long, long time. Father's Day's only been around about 110 years. Mother's Day began to be celebrated way before that. But there was a girl in Spokane, Washington, named Louise Dodd, who loved her dad. And as an adult, she went to her pastor and said, we ought to have a day to honor fathers. Now, this is little Louise, and that is her dad. Now, the reason you see mom's picture is kind of up there, that's actually not mom, that's Louise when she grew up. Louise's mom died in childbirth. Her father raised seven children by himself, as a farmer and a lay preacher, just, you know, someone kind of helped out at the church. He must have been a stunning guy. And she said to her pastor, can we have a Sunday where we just honor our fathers? And that began the tradition that ended up in Father's Day. Now, the good news is I think it's appropriate to say thank you for dads who are so often overlooked. Can I get an oh yeah from the dads in the house here? Okay. All right. But but, but the the flip side of that is it puts a lot of pressure on dads. Because if you've ever gone down, I've never shopped. Well, it's been a long, long time since I've shopped for a Father's Day card. I was 21 years old when my pop passed away. And I remember him so sweetly and fondly. He was a preacher as well. But when I go and look at Father's Day cards, they make dad sound like Jesus. I mean, I mean, you know, it's just you're the greatest, the best dad in the world. And today that is not an easy thing to do. In fact, let me show you. Let me show you a picture. I was looking for pictures for Father's Day, and I came up with this shot of, of a dad out on a beach. If you can go to the next one there, cool. I saw this picture. I thought this is so cool, right? I showed this picture to my daughter-in-law who said, You can't show that. I said, Why not? He is pulling those kids' arms out of their sockets. You're not supposed to swing kids like that. And I'm like, you're kidding me. I showed it to another millennial who told me the same thing. Oh, that's wrong, he should be sued. He, those kids should be taken away from him. I'm like, really, you think that's bad? You have not seen a bad dad if you think that's bad. And I started going through, here, let me show you. This, if you wanna talk about a dad, go to the next one if you would, that is questionable. This guy here is trying to teach his daughter how to use a hammer. Do not do this, right? <laughs> Or this one here, oh, the next one. This dad thought his kid was old enough to have a steak. Mom was gone, so he just made him a mistake. Or this dad here. This one cracks me up. Okay, you know how this happened. Mom is out of town. It's soccer time, right? And the I don't have a hair tie. Wait a minute. I guess I'm in the truck. Zzz, there you go. You'll never get it off. Or this, or this father here. Oh, I just think. Okay, that's supposed to keep the kid contained. Instead, dad just wants to keep the kid off his gaming software is what I'm guessing at this point. This dad here, I thought, okay, bless your heart. He's trying to take care of the kid, but can you see him? He falls asleep in the crib with the kid. Some are saying, what's so weird about that? I've done that in a pack and play. Or this dad here, (laughs) I know. You don't even have to say, this is a brave and good dad. I don't care. Just let her finish. Uh, Go to to the next one. This is my favorite. (laughs) Honey, you dripped on the kid. I'll take care of it. Dads, for all of you who have been laboring under the notion that you've got to be the perfect father, please know this. There's no such thing as a perfect dad on earth. And if anybody tries to grab you and hold you up to some standard, saying, Oh man, you're not as good as this, know this. You don't have to compare yourself to anybody. And if you ever say to yourself, Man, I'm just, I want to be a better dad, that's okay. But know that you have a father in heaven who loves you desperately. Whether or not you believe in him, he loves you anyway. It doesn't bother him. You don't believe in him right now. He'll just keep working on you and loving you. Can I get an oh yeah from any of you who know what that journey looks like? A heavenly father who loves you and cares for you. People want to say, well, you know, you're not as good as this guy or that guy, like the, the, the preacher that was at a pre- specific church and was talking about being perfect. Nobody's perfect. Is anybody here perfect? And the guy raised his hand way in the back. He said, sir, you're perfect. He said, no, I'm raising my hand in honor of my wife's first husband. There are people who would say, some of you won't get that to lunch, that's all right. There are people who want to compare, oh, this dad or that dad. This morning's sermon is going to be about not a great dad, not a perfect dad. Because when I started looking through scripture, you know, I find texts like this in Proverbs 1, 8 through 9, listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. This picture of this dad, it's like you see families, right, in movies or on TV or occasionally in a restaurant. You'll be there. I I, I had three boys, all right, three boys. Any of you who've got multiple boys in your house know what that's like somebody is always hurting or teasing or poking or messing with somebody else. And when we would go out to eat, it was just like taking, you know, uh, the World Wrestling Federation to Bob's, Big Boy. It was just always like, sit down, sit down, sit down. And if you ever, Dad, you know what I'm talking about? You're in the restaurant fussing with your, your kids and your family, and you look over, and you see a family that's quietly sitting. When Dad speaks, everyone turns and listens. And you're like, I want to be adopted. I want to, you know, I want to be part of that family. Don't get sucked into the comparison game. Because if you look in Scripture, okay. So I started looking, Mark. I thought, you know, what, what text, what Bible story would be good for Father's Day? What an honor to be here on that day. So I thought, we need to start at the very beginning, Adam. And he had two sons that killed each other. Okay, let's not, let's not, let's not go there. Um, uh, you know Abraham. Abraham sent one of his baby sons out to die because he made his wife mad. No, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons who attacked and killed their in-laws. All right, no. David. David had a son who started a civil war and then wanted to kill his father to take the throne. And even Joseph, even the father of Jesus. Do you know how we get introduced to Joseph? Joseph finds out Mary is pregnant and says, I'm divorcing you, babe. I'm out of here. Peace out, right? You're like, wow, Jeff, how can you say that? These guys put the fun in dysfunctional. They all had families that were messed up, and I love the fact that the Bible doesn't airbrush that out. That all of the dads that ever were happy enough to have a little kid look at them and say, Daddy, all of us are broken and busted. And just in case there's any misunderstanding, the moms are too. Can I get an oh yeah from the moms also, right? Because they get held up to these standards. So, so what, do you, what do you do as a Christian man who wants to be a good father and looks to Scripture? Well, I'm going to suggest that Jesus understood this. At one point, people come to Jesus and they say, good teacher. And I love his response in Luke 18, 19. He says, why do you call me good? There's no one good except God alone. Can I get an oh yeah? So we're just going to take off the the guilt bag of, oh, I'm I'm just not good. All I ask today is that you consider being a good enough father. All right, preacher, what do you mean saying good enough, Jeff? Jesus tells a story of an earthly father, of a guy. He didn't have three sons, but he had two. And as I began to read his story, I realized that father was not perfect. He's got two sons, both of which have problems, and we'll see that in a minute. He's got one son who says, look, I, just, I can't wait for you to die. Can I have my inheritance now? I hope he didn't do it on Father's Day. You know That's, that's, not, that's not what you want to do. We had, we had all the boys. They all are scattered now. One of my sons lives in Texas. One lives in Colorado. One lives in Los Angeles. And, and, and we had all of them together about two years ago at our house. And I heard some kind of arguing. It's not uncommon to hear arguing with these three guys talking around. But I come in, and they're saying, no. I'm the oldest, so no, I already asked Dad about it. And I'm like, what are you guys talking about? And they said, this chair. When you die, I want this chair. <laughs> you are kidding me. We're here to have this Thanksgiving meal together, and you're already divvying up my stuff when I'm dead? And they said, Dad, seriously, we need you. Can you? Could you, and one of them said, could you just start tagging this stuff with who gets, I said, guys, I'm feeling fine, thank you, I'm actually feeling pretty good, you know, my doctor says, I'm okay, I I I stood there thinking, man, this is so frustrating, then I realized Jesus told a story about a dad who had boys just like that. Can I give you just, let Jesus give you a few tips from what this father does. And if you have a Bible or want to look it up on your phone or iPad, Luke chapter 15 is the story that for today, I want to call a good enough dad. Not perfect, but the guy made some good choices. Here's how the text goes. Uh, There was a man who had two sons. I love the lady that after... The first child is, is born to the neighbor and, you know, how's your baby doing? Sleeps through the night, never really cries, nurses so well, is just always smiling. And her neighbor said, that's called a first child. Wait till you have two, right? Wait till you have three. You know, those parents who have that first child and they think they got it all figured out and then God gives them number two and then God gives them number three. Well, this guy had two sons, so he knew how two different kids, you're just never going to be the perfect father. It says now he had two sons and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, why does a kid do that? Why would a kid say, Dad, I want my stuff and I want to move out? Do you guys remember the age you got to where you felt like I'm just so sick of your rules. Just so sick of your rules. Some right now are sitting with your kids and they're going, I'm there right now, right? Oh, man, I remember that. I remember my dad being so strict about when I needed to be home and I remember looking at him as like a 15-year-old and I'm thinking in my head, I can't wait until I don't live here anymore. And I had no idea. My dad was thinking the exact same thing at that moment. But my dad, like this father, was good enough to do, number one, he he, he was good enough to be wise enough to have rules. We live in a culture that at times says, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't know about you, but I struggle sometimes. It's like the kid running up the down escalator just because. I'm in Walmart, and if the arrow says this way, sometimes I just drive right over it just to say, you can't tell me what to do because that's human nature. And sometimes moms and dads are pressured because they feel like, oh, my kid's upset. John Roseman was a wonderful writer about parenting. And years ago, my wife and I came across an article of his that helped us so much. And it simply was an article entitled, It's Okay, You're the Parent. It's okay to tell them no. And when they whine and gripe and become upset, it's okay, you're the parent. It's okay to guard them from difficult situations or dangerous situations. And when they say, everybody else is doing it, I hate you, it's okay. Because everybody say, you're the parent. Or you'd say it with a little more gusto because you're like, I'm not sure. (laughs) Because you're the parent. It's okay when your kids go, but you know what? She's getting to do it and he's getting to do it and I want to go do it too. How come? I'm 12 years old, why can't I bungee jump? And you just look at them. It's okay because you're the parent. I believe that the reason the younger son left was because there were rules. And this dad loved enough, cared enough, to say, you know what? This is important. My father once said to me, this is my house and I love you. And as long as you live in my house, You follow my rules. Now, back when I thought, golly, how dictatorial, you know? How hard-handed. And then I had children. And I thought, I can't wait till they're old enough for me to say that to them because it was good for me. But not only is this father wise enough to have these rules, loving and caring enough to have these rules, he is smart enough to know when to let go. Because this young man comes to him and says, hey, Dad, I want my inheritance now. I'm not going to wait till you die. I want it now. And so the father shockingly says, okay. As part of the, the story of the prodigal son that I don't think we think about a lot. This dad could say, no way. Get yourself back in there. In fact, I'm cutting your allowance because you're such a smart mouth here saying, I want all this. But instead, this dad says, well, boy, if you think you're ready for it, rock and roll. Here we go. There it is. And that son takes off. The dad doesn't cling to his heels. The dad doesn't grab him by the coat. The dad says, please, please, don't leave me. (laughs) I I was made the choice to go to college. We lived in Redlands. Anybody know where Redlands is out in the Inland Empire? Lived in Redlands. And I I made the choice to go to the University of California, Irvine. Um, You say, why why don't you go to Pepperdine? I didn't know about Pepperdine. So I made the choice to go to the University of California, Irvine. The last night before I left for college, my sweet mom, preacher's wife, came, knelt by my bed. Buddy, can I pray with you? And I'm like, oh, mom. She prays, dear God. Please let him change his mind and go to the junior college right here so he can be with me for my last years. I mean, she prays this whole guilt trip prayer. And, and I'm like, Mom, I'm 45 minutes away, okay? I'm not going to Boston. I'm not going to San Francisco even. The father doesn't do that. Here's what, here's what this good enough father does. One, he has rules, just like your heavenly father has for you, by the way. Can I get an oh Yeah. And two, he says, but you know what? If you don't want the rules, there's the door. It's okay. You have the right to be dumb. Go ahead, there's the door. And sure enough, the boy goes out and the scripture says he was dumb because he, he wastes the money. He blows the money and ends up broke. But here's where this father starts convicting me. Not only did he have rules, not only was he willing to let the boy go, but watch what happens. When the boy returns, the father is there watching for him. This dad was patient enough to wait and to watch. All right, I'm going to trust you you're not going to get mad at me. But as I, as I work with these students sometimes at the university, I find their parents have a hard time waiting and watching. If something just doesn't go quite right, if the kid doesn't maybe get in the room they want at the dorm or whatever, we start getting calls from moms and dads of these bright young students trying to intervene. Well, now, now she wanted to be on the second floor of the dorm, you know, because she's just uncomfortable on the first floor. And I'm like, Your bright daughter who scored way off the charts on the ACT is completely capable. She was head of her senior class. She was president of the class. She is able to argue for herself. But then I remember, I remember being a parent and thinking, I don't want anything that my kid wants. I want them to have everything they want. And so I would rush in. I know none of you would ever do this, but the helicopter, the snowplow, I kept them all in my garage, and I would rush in with those tools to say, now, wait a minute, how come my son didn't get to, to pitch more this time? How come my daughter, she wants to be goalie? How come you never let her be goalie? And what I'm doing is I am rushing in instead of patiently waiting for them to say, "Hey mom, hey dad, what about this?" <clears throat> there was a, a parenting book that I, I don't remember the title of, but one chapter was just called Ice. And they said the difference between water and ice is very simple: you, you lower the temperature, and water becomes firm. You can actually, if you had a, a, a pad of ice, you could you could set a cup on it and it would hold it. It's it's a solid foundation. The writer went on to say that when you're parenting, ICE is spelled information, consequences, experience. I can't tell you. I've read this 30 years ago and it's stuck. Information. Everybody say information. Consequences. And experience. Here's how this works. Son, if you do this, then this is what's going to happen. If you decide you're not going to study and you're just going to blow off this test, if you end up with these grades, you're going to end up losing the keys to the car. How about something simple? I want you to clean your room this Saturday. I want that room cleaned. And if you don't have the room cleaned by noon, then you're not going out with your friends tonight. Do you understand me? Yes. Information, consequences, right? But I keep it from becoming water by walking by the room at about 11. Hey, bud, you just got an hour. You, got, you just got an hour. Let's get this room clean because I know you want to go tonight with your buddies. Quarter till. Hey, hey, man, hey, 15 minutes to go. <laughs> 10 till. He still hasn't done anything. Mark, and I go up there and I'm like, um, let me help you a little bit. Hey, let's just, we'll start over in this corner. Let's just, if we, if we can just kind of get this little corner picked up here. This is a middle school kid. One minute to go. You ever been the parent that wants to run in? And we're, 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 we'll make it a game. 60 seconds. Here we go. We'll clean up your room together. And that kid never has the water turned to ice. In my life, I have learned so much more through pain than I ever did through pleasure. Can I get agreement from you all on that? Can I get an oh, yeah? Oh, man. When you get the ticket, you actually pay attention. Can I get an Oh, yeah. <laughs> And you're always wanting, oh, please let me go, let me go. But you know what happens when they let you go? You just speed off from there again. But man, when you get busted, when you get that parking ticket, or when you get that speeding ticket, then you're much more careful. That's because the water turned to, everybody say, ice. And God loves us. But he has built systems into our world where if I choose to treat my body with disrespect, if I choose to give in to my natural, addictive nature, there are going to be consequences. Sometimes it's those consequences that cause me to say, wait a minute, that's not what I want. If I choose selfishness, if I choose to say, man, I'm going to have it my way, my relationships start to suffer. You see, that's the consequence of selfishness in my relationships is they begin to wither and die. Somebody says, it's a terrible thing. But that's where I re- realize, man, I shouldn't behave that way. I'm sorry. This dad was smart enough not to follow that kid to the far country. Because the Bible says he goes to a far country, and he spends his money basically on wine, women, and song. He's out there in the brothels. He's out there drinking up his money. He's not budgeting. And he doesn't have a dad on the cell phone saying, Now, hey, son, now listen. Now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to Venmo you 20 more dollars, but this is all. This is all I'm going to get. He's out there, and when he hits bottom, watch what happens. The boy says, Oh. Y'all, y'all know the story, right? He gets to the point where he's out of money, and he doesn't have, he, so he takes a, a side job, a side job, he takes his only job as a, working at a farm. Nothing wrong with working at a farm, but here's a Jewish boy, and the farmer, who clearly is not Jewish, has got pigs, and he says, why don't you feed the pigs? Well, pigs are unclean animals. For a Jewish boy, this is the worst of the worst. This is toilet cleaning, right? And he's out there doing this, and he is so hungry that at one point, he picks up the slop out of the pig's trough and looks around, and the Bible says he's ready to eat it because he's so hungry. And at that moment, guess what he remembers? His dad. The Bible says he says, Oh, in my father's house there's plenty of food. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to say to my dad, Dad, I screwed up. Dad, I'm sorry. Now hang on just a second. Hang on just a second what does this boy know about his father that allows him to have that vision? What does this boy know about his dad that caused him to say, I'm going to go back and I'm going to apologize and I'm going to say I'm sorry. He knows his dad has rules. That's why he's going to go back and say, Dad, I'm sorry, not just, hey, I'm back, where's lunch? He's going to go back with a humble attitude because he knows his dad, but he's going to go back because he knows his dad will love him and forgive him. Can I get an oh yeah out of you? You don't go back if that person has said, you know, I'm done with you. You walk out that door, you're never coming back through it. That's not what this dad said. Wise enough, caring enough to have the rules, wise enough to let go. He was patient enough to wait and watch, and then he was gracious enough to forgive and to embrace his boy. This this is most people's favorite part of the prodigal son story, right? Remember how this goes? The boy is coming back. The father sees him. The Bible says a long way off, and the dad runs to him. Now, you probably heard this before, but in Jewish culture in that day, the man of the house did not run. A couple of reasons. One, because they would wear the longish caftans. To run, you'd get tripped up. The only way you'd run is to grab these and yank them up and run, bearing your legs, which in that culture was like, oh, please. Oh, how embarrassing. How dis- You've disrespected yourself in doing that. Think about somebody showing up at work in a Speedo. You'd just be like, really? Come on. (laughs) Assuming you don't work at the beach, right? So so here is this dad who bears his legs and rushes up to meet the boy. Now here's the boy, right? Now you know what the boy's head is saying. Oh, dude, this is going to be awful. Why? Because what's the natural thing to come out of dad's mouth? When dad told you, don't do this. You do this, you're going to get hurt. You do it, you get hurt, and you come back. What are the four words that we expect our dad to say? And it starts with, I told. Yeah, exactly. Naturally. I told you so, bud. I mean, that's my dad's voice in my head. (laughs) I told you so. Do you know what the prodigal son's father says to the boy when the boy comes back? And has this speech already. Father, I'm sorry, I don't deserve to be your son. You know, I've, I, I, I've shamed you, I've sinned against heaven, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you know what the father says to the boy? Nothing. Take, you can look at the text. There is not a word there the father says to the prodigal. But he's not saying, I'm not gonna speak to you. No. He runs, the boy is saying, oh, Dad, I'm so sorry, and he grabs him, and he hugs him. In the old King James Version says he fell upon his neck, which is a way of saying, just like, bang, you know that big old bear hug, the one we all wanted to give one another when we finally got you know, out of COVID and got on the road to de-mask us. When, you know when us, when we finally saw one another and said, yes, fully vaccinated, fully vaccinated, yay, we're hugging each other. And he hugged each other, And instead of saying anything to his son, he speaks to the servants. Get a robe for this boy. Get get some new sandals for his feet. Kill the fatted calf. Because we're going to party. We're going to celebrate. Now, I want to ask you a question I have never asked an audience before. Why didn't the father Make a speech to the son. Even a, oh, son, I'm so thankful you're home. I've missed you every day, and I love you, and I care about you. Thank you for coming home. Even the best speech you could have possibly made. I'm going to give you just a thought. (sighs) Dad, our words are pretty cheap. Doesn't cost anything to say. All right, come on in. I love you. Let me be clear. Tell your kids you love them. That's one of the most powerful things you can do. Can I get an oh, yeah? But if it's just coming from here and not coming from here and not even coming from here, what the dad does is he says, I'm not going to make a speech. I'm going to show you I love you and I'm going to keep showing you. That's what God does when we get on our knees and say, Father, I'm so sorry. He doesn't say, Well, I told you so. He says, How about I how about I give you a beautiful sunrise? How about I give you friends, family? How about I give you a church that you can be a part of, that you can grow and learn and love together with? How about I give you your next breath? That came from your heavenly father. Can we all say thank you? Yeah. Yeah. This is dad not perfect in this story, but man, he is so good enough. He is good enough to forgive and to embrace his boy. And when he does, this dad, <laughs> he's fun enough to celebrate, to party. I looked at that picture of uh, Louise Dodd's dad. And, and when I saw that photo, you know, all the, all, the, all the dads looked like, you know, Abraham Lincoln kind of grumpy, you know, in all those, all those old, uh, you know, tin-type uh, black-and-white photos. I, I, I don't know what you remember of your dad. But I think this kid had a dad who smiled. Fathers, there is nothing holy about being grumpy. I'm going to say that one more time. There's nothing holy about being grumpy. Sometimes Christian dads can be so uptight about, you know, now you're not wearing those clothes out of there. Sweetheart, those shirts are shorts are too short. You know, wh- whatever it is that you're arguing with your daughter or with your son over that we can become the big bucket of grumpiness we can become jerks for jesus and we're out there saying we're gonna do this we're gonna get there and when do we just laugh and have fun with him here this boy comes dragging home after blowing the inheritance and what his dad does is shows him love and says you know what let's celebrate christian dads ought to be party animals can i just get a oh yeah from you Christian dads ought to be able to party better than anybody because we know we got a God that loves us and forgives us. Dad, say amen. amen. We know it's a privilege to be a dad. Dad, say amen. amen. And we know that even if we screw up, God's going to help us get through it. Dad, say amen. So, Dad, be the celebrator. Be the one who shares in passion. This dad is unafraid to let his emotions boom, Just hang out. <clears throat> I have a, a, a saying that I use when I'm talking to Dad. Sometimes we'll do men's conference. And I say, "Dads, with your kids, reserve the maximum amount of motion, emotion for the positive things, and the minimum amount of motion for the negative things." Unfortunately, we often swap that, right? What happens when the kid comes in? "Hey, Dad, I got all A's." Oh, it's cool, boy. What happens when the kid comes in? Hey, Dad, I backed into your car. What? You've got... And all of that, that emotion, right? All that negativity. We do the same things with our wives, guys, when we leave in the morning. right? I give her a kiss, you know. Okay, love you, babe. And I'm out to work, and I get in, and I start the car and realize the tank is empty. I mean, empty. How did she get it here? Did she push it in the driveway? There is no gas in this car. And when I go inside to swap cars with her and say, you're going to have to get that taken care of because i got a meeting. All my, all my emotions are up here. What if I swap that? What if instead when I leave and I'm leaving my wife during the, in the morning, it's not just, hey, love you, babe. It's baby. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to spend a day without you. Oh, mama, I love you. Come here. Give me a kiss. I can't wait to get back home. Oh, I love you. And then I get out there, and when I find out that there's no gas in the car, I come back and say, no problem, babe. Here, let me get the keys. Thanks. Oh, I love you, right? And she's thinking, he's been drinking again. He's, he's after it again. I love the way this father gives the maximum amount of energy and money and, and, and attention to the good stuff. I'm sure there's going to be a time, Mark, when they're going to have a talk, Right? they're going to have some kind of talk sometime. And I know this because of the way he handles the other son. And then i got to tell you about the other son. We're going to take communion together. The other son, oh, how do I describe this boy? He's the kid that everybody goes, oh, why can't you be more like your brother? He's the kid that always... Did his homework that always was there. He's an Eagle Scout. Nothing wrong with being an Eagle Scout. One of my sons was an Eagle Scout. This kid would have been an Eagle Scout. And he'd have been right here this morning at early service, the 9 o'clock service, where the truly holy come together. He, He would have been here. And if you saw him, he'd be taking notes. And you'd think, oh, why can't I have a son like that? And yet Jesus tells the story and kind of pulls back the curtain and says, yeah, we know what sometimes can be going on behind that. Because when the big party's going on and this boy comes in from the field and he comes walking back in from the field and he sees it and asks the servant, what's the party? What's the party? Oh, your brother. Remember the scoundrel, the drunk, the loser? He's back. And so your dad is throwing a big party for him. And he knows what to do. He knows how to give it to his dad. He doesn't storm in and make a scene. He says, okay, go ahead. Oh, no, but you got to come in the party. No, I don't. So he sits outside, probably looking over the work for the next day. Now, what does the dad do? The dad says, go tell my boy to get in here. Well, the Bible says the dad comes out of the party, and he comes to that son with his lips sticking out, and he says, buddy, Come on in. You know what the Bible says the kid says? You know, I have done everything you have ever asked me to do. I have worked and I have served you. And here my stupid brother comes home after blowing the inheritance and you throw him a party. You kill the fatted calf. Well, you never even gave me and my buddies a, a skinny goat to eat while we played, you know, games. You never gave us anything. Now, at this point, if I'm a dad, oh, I've got speeches for this boy. You think you deserve it, huh? Tell me who paid for that bed you sleep on. Tell me who bought you that camel that you, that you drive, huh? Tell me. Tell me who got you that robe. Tell me who paid for that. Tell me whose farm. Oh, listen, all that would come bubbling out of me. But instead, this father says, son, he loves enough to invite everybody in, even the people with a bad attitude. Can Can I give you a challenge for the Sunday after Father's Day? I want you to find somebody who has a bad attitude and bring them to church next week with you. Some are saying, I already did. They're right here, sitting right here by me. All right, find another one for next week. Somebody that you might even think would go, no way. Just reach out and say, man, I would love to have you come. And when they say church is stupid, instead of reacting, just say, you know what? I just want to bring you. Come go with me. And I'll buy lunch afterwards. I just want you to experience. It's so, it's so healthy for me. That's what this dad did. He said, son, everything I've got is yours. But your brother came home. We've got to celebrate. I love that line. We've got to party. Now, your vision of a dad may be very different than the one Jesus gave. Maybe your dad wasn't around, or maybe he was and you wished he wasn't. But I want you to know that today you have a father who loves you so. He loves you and cares for you enough to make some rules. But he loves you and cares for you enough to say, I'm not going to make you do anything. He loves you and cares for you enough to be patient and say, I'm right here. And if you need to get your heart and life right with Jesus today, let me make it clear, your father is not going to say, well, look who comes here. Look who comes and here's the sermon, makes her feel guilty, and so here she's coming to all of a sudden, dear God. No, he is going to run and throw his holy arms around you and say, I love you. Let's begin again. And let's start with a party. In fact, we're going to do that now. In a moment, we're going to have a party. We call it communion. It's a simple party. Not quite chips and dip, a little little bit of bread and a little cup. If you've got it, go ahead and get it out in your hand, would you? And I want you to think of this as party prep because the Bible describes heaven as a great celebration, as a party. But before you take that bread, before I pray, before you take that cup, I want you to know that even though it doesn't look like much, It is so expensive. If you don't have a a, a set of party prep stuff, just raise your hand, and these folks have got a party prep bag for you there. What you're holding in your hand cost our Heavenly Father greatly. He came as a man and died on a cross. Sometimes as a dad, I, I think, I see dads caring for needy kids, and I think, man, how far would I go I've had dads say to me after a sermon like this, dude, you need to know, it's hard. I mean, I've got two kids, and I'm I'm trying to make a way, and my wife and I are having challenges. It's hard. i I got a new definition for hard, though. Dick Hoyt was a big old football player type merchant marine, and when his son was born, he um, had a cord wrapped around his neck. Anyway, Ricky was born. And the doctor said he's never going to walk. He's never going to run. He's, he's never going to play football. In fact, he ended up in a wheelchair. Um, and his dad, who's standing right behind him, hurt. He, he wanted a football player. He wanted a boy that was going to be out there like he was. So he'd get him by the TV, and they'd watch football together. And the doctor said he's, he's never going to be probably more than 7, eight, ten years old as far as mental awareness. But Dick just kept loving his boy. And one time, his boy laughed at a joke on TV. And he realized this boy is smarter than these people are giving him credit for. And they hooked up with MIT, and MIT made him a chair that had a computer screen. And Ricky could pop his head against a little pad right here, to change the letters, A, B, C, D. And when they hooked it up, and they said, Ricky, can you type something out? This kid, who at this point was probably about 12 or 13, starts popping his head to change letters. And he types out first sentence, hi, dad. And then, hi, mom. And then he typed out, go, Bruins. And they were like, what? Ricky went all the way through school typing out every paper using that and graduated from high school, right along with the other kids. But that's not why I know about Dick. I know about Dick because there was another kid in Ricky's school who ended up hit by a car, was in an accident, ended up being a a paraplegic. And the school decided to do uh, a 5K, you know, about three-mile run to raise money for this kid. Some of, the, some of the families got together. And Ricky came home from school and typed out, I wish I could be in the run to help Jerry. And Dick said, you're gonna do it. He called the school and said, I want to sign up my son for the run. And he said, Ricky can't, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, run. I'm gonna run for him. In fact, I'm gonna push him. Well, man, everybody at school went nuts. When this big old guy pushes him and he decided his goal was to beat all the other kids. And Dick poured it on. Ricky is flying in this wheelchair. They said his smile on his face was like, Wah! as he's flying and they cross that line and the crowd goes crazy. When they got back home and they hooked the wheelchair with the computer back up, Ricky typed out, thank you, thank you, thank you. I have never felt so alive. I love you, Dad. And that big old man went in the back bedroom and just bawled like a baby. And he said, if that makes my boy feel alive, we're going to do it again. He he signed him up for a a 10K. That's six miles. Ricky loved it. So he signed him up for a half marathon. And then he began to wonder, could I do a marathon with my son? Could I run 26.2 miles pushing a wheelchair? And then he got his gaze higher. And he thought, I wonder what I could do, me and Ricky together. And he thought about a a contest in Hawaii where you swim two miles and you ride a bike 110 miles and then you run a marathon. It's called the Iron Man. I would never have believed it. Roll it, would you, until I saw this. Would you bow your head with me? Father, God, we hardly know what to say. Lord, that picture of a dad going so far because he loves his boy just breaks our heart. But Father, we know that is nothing compared to what you did for us. Thank you for being a father who who loved not just enough, loved too much, who gave His only begotten Son for us. And Father, who made us a promise that one day when our worn out weary bodies can't take another step, You'll carry us across the finish line to heaven, to a mansion we can't afford, to, a, to an eternity in the place we want to be and the one, with the one we want to be with. So God, as we take this little piece of bread, we bless it as the body of Christ. When we take it in our mouths, Father, may we remember this is what the party costs, your son's body. And when we drink this little cup of juice, may we remember this. This is what you said, I love you this much. And Jesus shed his blood on the cross for us. Thank you, Father. And God, I ask a special blessing on all the dads who take communion this morning. That we would go out renewed, (laughs) recharged, reconvicted. We can't be perfect, but God help us to be the kind of dads that Jesus told about. The kind of dad that you have been to us and help us to point our kids and everybody around us towards you and towards heaven. And Father, for any here who have never given their heart and life to you, I pray they'll grab Pastor Tim or one of the team here right after this Father's Day service is over. Father, I pray they'll reach out with a text or a call. I pray they'll just say to somebody who's with them, man, I got some stuff I need to get right. Because Lord, I know you would love to make a Father's Day run to them to hug and to forgive, and to love them. So God, as we take this communion together, and then as we close this service in music, send us out to let others see how loving a Father we have for eternity. We pray in Jesus' name, and all that agree, say, Amen. Please take the Lord's Supper in the honor of your Heavenly Father.